Hey, I want to talk to you about a very special podcast that is going into its second season, Veronica Mars Investigates. Their second season is going to premiere on March 24th, and a little bit about Veronica Mars Investigates. It is a very, very cool recap podcast, and if you like very, very cool recap podcasts like this one, you're probably going to like that one. It's hosted by Jenny Owen Youngs from the hit Buffy recap podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and Helen Zaltzman from the award-winning entertainment podcasts, The Illusionists, and Answer Me This. They are podcast royalty, and they have come together to create this show about the Veronica Mars television show. And if you haven't watched Veronica Mars television show, it is a teen comedy drama thriller noir. You can hear the first season of Veronica Mars Investigates now on all the podcast places and at vmipod.com. But season two, March 24th, get ready. You'll enjoy it. Velvet darkness, silken light. The rough burlap of evening, the frayed cotton of daybreak. Good morning, Night Vale. Hi, everybody. It's me, Symphony. And me, Hal. Wait, I can do better. And me, Hal. And me, Megan. It's my Christian name. Uh, Megan. Megan. Uh, what are we doing? We're doing a show called Good Morning Night Vale, where the three of us, gents and ladies, go back in time and re-listen to every episode of the blessed, pivotal show. Good morning. Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> what, what is where am I? I only listen to the Mountain Goats, and we only listen to only listen to the Mountain Goats, and we do a podcast about that, which is an actual thing, by the way. Don't go out and find it. Uh, yeah, no. So we do a show called Good Morning Night Vale, it's where we like to reminisce about these episodes and what they meant at the time and what they mean now. And this episode we're doing is the auction. Episode 37 of the auction. The sheriff's secret police are holding their annual auction of seized property. And our favorite community radio host finds lot 37 particularly interesting. Plus a new challenge for the mayoral title and some great advice for toddlers. Let's talk about it. I just realized this in this moment, and I might be a little... That it was 37 and 37? 37 and lot 37. Yeah. yeah, I was behind the curve on that. That's cool. <laughs> Trickery. So this episode, yeah, this is co-written with Glenn David Gold. Yes. Yay. Which is, I always love when they have guest writers because, you know, I I don't read the thing. I try not to read the thing sometimes before. Like, I want to experience it, like, in the moment. So I don't read the paragraph or whatever beforehand. I just go straight to the script and listen and read along. And it's fun to be, like, somewhere in the middle. I was like, oh, this one feels different. And then I went back and was like, Oh, that's because it was like co-written by some with someone else. So that was really fun to uh, experience that. And I really enjoyed this episode. And let's start from the, the beginning. It's a very good place to start, you know. Uh, I, I love my all-clad cookware. So I can understand that it would be a hot item. I wish I had all-clad cookware. It's fancy. It's like really nice. I got it for a gift. It yeah, was very nice. A nice gift. I'm very domestic. Yeah. 
That's such an even heat with that all clad. Oh, it's so nice. And it lasts forever. Well, it should. And you can put it in the oven. I use it in the oven and on the cooktop. It's amazing. I feel like the barefoot Contessa. Yeah. (laughs) She probably uses all clad. She definitely does. She definitely She's fancy. Her KitchenAid stand mixer is white. Oof. That's a statement. Really is. That's a true statement. Um, yeah. I'm, I I haven't my eye on one and it's like an eggplant color and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I want it so bad. Uh, one day, baby, one day. Just, yeah. When you have your 40th birthday party, bridal shower, wedding shower, baby shower. Yeah. Uh, bachelorette party party. I'm 40 party. <laughs> That's what's And you make happen. all of your friends you've had to be in their weddings. Yes. I'll be like, hi, I was in your wedding and I bought an ugly $250 dress and I flew to your wedding or I did some, you owe me a goddamn gift. And you that, owe me a goddamn stand mixer. Uh, hello, girl. Mm-hmm. Girl, I'm not married yet. Anyways, so yes, police auctions. Have, have you guys ever done one of those? No. no. I've never gone because it kind of freaked me. The idea freaks me out that it's going to be a bunch of bullet-ridden cars or something. <laughs> Can you get regular just, like, stuff like this? Some stuff is, like, impounded for for reasons other than it was involved in a cocaine-fueled shootout. <laughs> but you can't buy the cocaine, right? I'm just no, I don't, You know, I don't – I haven't been to one. I can't <laughs> tell you. The cops sold me this cocaine. <laughs> the cops keep the cocaine for themselves. It's okay. They told me it was – I was a cop. They told me they were cops, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is entrapment. It's not illegal if the cop tells you they're a cop yes. when they're when they're selling you the cocaine. Then they have to sell it to you. They have to sell it to you. It's the law. <laughs> but some of these items are pretty fun, like the Latu, the glowing coin. Uh, By the way, you know. do, you, do you know what a panopticon is? No, I don't. A panopticon is a system of monitoring inmates at a prison where they are uh, in, like in a circle, like in a uh, circular shape. So you can see all the cells. And there's a tower in the middle so that one guard can walk around. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to walk around. Is From that tower, can see everybody. Oh. So that you can have one guard to guard everybody. So it's this idea of a single like entity overwatching everybody. Huh. So it's, you know, another – very nightmare. Uh, it's it's another like subtle. It's a very specific piece of imagery. I had to look it up. Please don't think I have Panopticon just sitting in my head, but <laughs> it's fascinating and a very, a very much you are being watched, you are being controlled uh, feeling to it. So that is a fun uh, look, people. If you don't know a word, look it up, and you will learn and be a better person for it. Join the Look It Up Club. Look It Up Club. Like when I had to look up a fluvia a couple episodes back. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. And now I can't unknow what a fluvia means. <laughs> uh, three and four is fun too. The abattoir, uh, the yes. dining room abattoir set. The candelabras and then the flying daggers. Yeah. I mean, and I like that it's like knife collectors and maniacs alike. It's like they just banned uh, murders recently. So it's like. They're still expecting maniacs to be out there, but just like not being able to murder people legally anymore. Uh, and then he's like, uh, and I, I, you know, this is a thing in writing where you're like, okay, you'll describe like a few things very in detail. And then they're like, oh, there's carpets and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, look, the X-Men. And then I thought of you immediately, Hal, because I was like, Hal will know some of this stuff. Sure. I didn't know. And I, 
I just recently got into, for those of you who are not in the know, I did not grow up being like, I like comic cons or comic books or anything like that. My brother was a big comic book person, but I never was. So I didn't know what the foxing was, but I know it's like some scritches. Yeah. It's like little marks up, little dings. Yeah. Right. Maybe the most famous pop culture use of it is in the Avengers movie when Phil Coulson is telling Captain America his trading cards. So they're talking about the trading cards he has. Yeah. It's a complete set. He says it's some slight foxing around the edges. Right. So that might be an area where it's a little bit more worn. That's I, I just thought that was interesting because that is exactly like I feel like I've heard that language. I've overheard that language when I've been at like C2E2 or Dragon Con or something like that. And you're just like, what are you talking about? But um, yeah. I just found it really funny. Like, you know, the the very strong description of like the color separation, the off-white pages, the staple, the rustless staples. Yeah. Um, things like that. And uh, then the first appearance of the blob. I wonder, is that true? Like in that episode, that one, number three? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Glenn is and, a comic guy. Yeah. Okay. He, he has a great, there was a, a Jack Kirby exhibition at a college out in the Valley and Jennifer and I went to see it because Jack Kirby, in, in addition to being, you know, the probably the most renowned original Marvel artist also did a lot of personal artwork and a, a, a lot of what was in the traveling exhibition was from Glenn's collection. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and foxing, by the way, more specifically, rather than the scratching or wear is when it gets like uh, spots on it, like it browns. Okay. Because of oxide. So it starts to look like fox, like the reddish color of a fox. Oh, okay. Oh. So more than tears or like wearing on it, it's more like, you know, what it, it gives you more of a clue as to how it was kept. That's just so funny to me, though, because it's like when you get something and you're like, okay, like, like, especially like a comic book, like it's meant to be read. It's not meant to be just like it's meant for enjoyment. And the so like you think that not necessarily you want it like worn out or whatever, but like if you know that it's been open, at least cracked. Oh, but like, I guess the part of the thing is like. If you're like the first one to crack it open, like it makes you feel good, maybe. There's that, but also imagine like uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one sells really, really well, but it's sold to a bunch of kids, right? So kids, kids will open it up, read it. It'll get torn, folded, rolled up, put in pockets. People will, you know, kids, younger kids might draw on it. There's always uh, snot and Cheetos. Yeah, snot <laughs> and Cheetos. Made of exactly. Cheese, orange, orange cheeses, and. Effluvia. Yeah. The, the effluvia <laughs> just rubbing all over the comics. So when you find today, if you can find an amazing Spider-Man number one that's in mint condition, it's worth a ton of money because there just aren't many of them because kids open them and read them. Right. And and the opposite, when you try to create value by storing things, then it, it's not as valuable. So like in, in – I think it was like in 1989 or 90, they, they launched a new Spider-Man line. It was, and the comic was just called Spider-Man. Okay. And it was drawn by Todd McFarlane, who was a really popular artist at the time. And the, there were like three variants of the cover. The cover was a black cover with Spider-Man. He was in his, I think his black suit at the time. Uh, but he's in like the middle of a giant web. So there's a web, there's a giant web on the cover and he's in the, like in the middle of it, like waiting to catch a villain ostensibly. So there's a version where the web is silver and a version where the web is gold. And people snapped them up. And for a brief amount of time, they were worth a ton of money. 
And then there were so many of them that were bought and stored up and put away that it became almost a commodity and it lost its value. So the kids being able to play with things ultimately makes those things more valuable when you can find the ones that haven't been played with. And then it, right. and then for those kids, like if it's if I had that comic when I was a kid and now I get it as an adult and I have a new one and I get for a brief moment to feel what it was like to be that kid again. But this time I'm going to take care of it and I can have that feeling forever. So that's what that's the draw of that. I think so for me. Unless you were a kid that was a kid chimney, chimney sweep like Mark, Marcus Vanston's trying to do. Yes. <laughs> um, I think this stuff is great. This all this Marcus Vanston. Well, Marcus yeah. Vanston has entered the election. Let's take note of that. But yeah. He, uh, and he's going to yeah. win. So um, <laughs> he says he's going to win. Uh, but yeah, this this whole bit with the, the chimney sweeps is great. Yeah. It really is. It's like yeah. the preschool. The preschool is just the, just sweeping out Marcus Vanston's many chimneys. And he has many of them. And he just like – and they make it seem – it makes it seem like, oh – He's doing you such a favor, like by having chimneys where there shouldn't be chimneys, just so that the toddlers can have jobs. To He's s- a job creator, you know? Right. Which yes. is so funny. And I, I think that's a nice, that's a fun commentary on like, you know, the guys have never been shy about like, you know, build, how they feel about billionaires or people like Elon Musk or like, you know, people creating stuff be like, oh, they're creating jobs. It's like, but is that a job that's like actually someone wants to have? Yeah. Like Walmart, like people work at Walmart because that's the only thing that they can work at in their town and they get paid not commensurate to what the company makes or what their time should be valued at. And they ha- are had to have to be subsidized by the government because their right. jobs that they work very, very hard at do not compensate them uh, enough for them to live. Right. While the people who own the company, who they make the money for, are living very, very well. And, and to, the, to the point of extreme excess where they could never spend it in their lifetime or the lifetimes of the many, many generations that come after them. Right. <laughs> uh, at this point, when this had come out in what spring of 2014, uh, Mark Evan Jackson had already played Marcus Vanston. And knowing that that was the part that he played, I, it's hard for me to read anything about it without imagining him saying it. Jackson just going, so many chimneys. Because so <laughs> I know that's something, like, I just know that's something you would key on and come back to. <laughs> and he plays, you know, he plays these guys. We've talked about him a little bit. Uh, but he plays this type of guy so, so well. And, of course, could not be farther from that in in reality. He's like one of the nicest, most generous yeah. people that I know. But I but it makes me smile. It makes my heart smile to think of him playing Marcus Vanston and then hear it come up in this, even though it's a condemnation of excessive wealth, which I agree with. But – I look at it and go, oh, Jackson. Well, Mark Evan Jackson, I think maybe he, because he's so the opposite of that, is a perfect person to play that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Uh, it's just he has a great voice and it that's very versatile and uh, can play that, that dryness. He can project it. Yeah. 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 He can project it so that if you meet him or if you see him from a distance making a certain face, you might make the the assumption. And he's very good at at taking that and subverting it or playing into it for for comedic effect. It's it's great. 
So yeah, he's thrown his his hat into the ring here, and he, he just seems so like flippant about everything. You know, he's like, "Well, I'm just gonna win, so I'm just gonna say that I'm running," but he never like says anything about yeah. it or anything like that. Um, and then we get some word from the other mayoral candidates, uh, the faceless old woman who lives in her secretly lives in your home, and uh, Hiram McDaniel's. And it's fun to hear them talk about them again, even though you don't get to hear from them. It just gives you a, a interesting... I like that Hiram McDaniel's like, the time of the lizard will soon be upon the helpless human race. And I'm like, wait, is he just going to be like an overlord? But like, he keeps seeming like he wants to... He It's going to be fun and everything's yeah. good, but he's going to eat us or something. <laughs> he could. Probably. It's possible. I love that the faceless old woman's platform is about bees. Yeah. Um, Cause they've been like kind of yes. dropping some stuff in the past couple episodes about her being really into bees. And like, it's just, it's just great. It's a really de- I think when you're creating a character, it's important to give them lots of depth. And this is a, definitely something that adds both, both length and depth to the face. <laughs> yeah. I love those little kind of, Oh, I'm really into bees. Ooh, who, uh, Jeffrey's it? really into bees. So of course, of course. Yeah. Bees, bees are good. Jeffrey really likes bees. Does Jeffrey keep bees in New he York? He doesn't keep bees. I don't think – yeah, he doesn't like spiders in a big way. Uh, yes. But he likes bees in uh, a bee way. I get, <laughs> My I don't name know is Jeffrey bees. and I'm here to say I like uh, bees in, in a, a bee, bee way. way. <laughs> um, I don't know if he likes the actual bees or if he just likes the images of bees and what bees stand for. I wonder but, if Jeffrey would be okay with getting bee-faced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can we bee-face Jeffrey? I don't think – I'm going to ask him. Bam, you just got bee-faced. You've been bee-faced. Oh, man, I went out to I went out to a party in Ithaca last night. I got totally bee-faced. Hey, did you guys see, I posted this thing on Twitter about, did you hear that this woman had four living bees in her eye? What? Yeah. No. There's something called sweat bees that are attracted to your sweat. Oh, shit. And she was like cleaning off like of because they do like a thing uh, in Taiwan where like they go back and like clean off the graves of like their, you know, family members and stuff. And she was like cleaning off the grave and like rubbed her eye or something like that. And then was like, oh, I felt like a stinging in my eye. Like it was I thought it was just like sweat or like whatever. And then it was not it was not going away. And her eye was getting swollen. Then she went to the doctor. She thought it was like an infection. She had four living motherfucking bees in her eye. In her eye. Mm-mm. No. Like underneath the lid, bitch. No. Underneath the no. lid. No. No. I got a gnat in my eye once. <laughs> it wasn't good. No. Uh, it's never good. Any, any, any animal. I always call them animals. I know they're insects. But any thing in your eye that's not supposed to be in there is not good for it no eyes are a very sensitive spot there's no reason that's how you see there shouldn't be anything living in there outside of your living body please doc doctor told me not to get anything in there i can't do it (laughs) i can't do it doc told me don't put anything in your eyes i know you bees want to get in there but you can't doctor's (laughs) rules Oh, no, fuck that. That's terrifying. Isn't that horrifying? That's but they yeah. got it out. 
And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I was, like, looking in her eye, and I didn't see anything. And then I thought I saw something, and I, like, digged a little deeper. I was like, you're digging in her eye. And he's like, and then I saw insect leg, and I pulled one out. And then I kept looking, and there was more. I was like, he pulled four out of her eye. Well, good on him for keeping looking. Yeah, because yeah. he could have been like, oh. Uh, well, we got it. We got the one thing. And then she's like, nah, dude. And then, like, how is he sure that there's not number five in there? They're not uh, like, it's not like numbered. Yeah. Like, I wonder, uh, I, like, would they, like, if that happened here, do you think they would, like, x-ray your eye or something? Do like it, yeah. Can you do that? that? Yeah. I mean, C- I don't know. Not, an x-ray C- is not going to pull it up. On, it's C- not going to come on an x-ray, but yeah. CT scan or MRI or something? One of the ones that's like the. You see that ultra, shit? I think maybe you can, you can find it with an ultrasound better. Oh, can you imagine seeing it moving around? Ugh. No, I don't want that. Anyway, so Cecil's lot thirty-seven. Oh yeah, dude, that's but like, and then he just like lets it go because he's talking about the aliens. But he really wants to get it. He really no, he to- does yeah. want to get it, and like he really tries. Like later on, like he tries, but like not really that hard. Like, let's be honest. Like, he was like, ta- he was like thinking about his own existence and stuff and got distracted and then didn't even raise his hand or whatever. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, lots of craziness had been going on at the auction. People were smacking each other with paddles. People were fighting. Some guns got loose because of Michelle Wynn, you know. And so now people have guns, especially like Pamela Winchell has a gun. You better watch out. Mm hmm. So all these people have guns, and they're, like, at, still in this room. And I'm imagining it. It's just, like, a, a room in my head. It's just, like, you know, like, an auction room, like, every sitcom ever. So it's not that big. There's no place to hide. Like, if you're shooting a gun, right? Yeah. It's, like, the yeah. lobby of a Radisson. Like a, <laughs> the convention room at a Radisson. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Strex has turned him into, a like, a coal miner because they're paying him in scrip. Oh, Like, that thing yeah. of, like... Where you make money off people, I'm going to give you money, but only good for stuff that I'm going to sell you at a markup. So I'm making money off of your labor. Yeah, it's like um, what are those? Not Disney bucks. What's that called? Like when people have like, it's just like like reward, funny money. Yeah, like funny money. Funny, yeah, it's like funny money, and you're like, wow, that's bogus. Mm-hmm. I get paid in Night Vale dollars. Do you guys not get paid in Night Vale dollars? <laughs> Wait, you get paid? Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, no, I get Night Vale dollars to use at the Night Vale store. And that's how I feed my family. We eat, t- we eat tarot cards and, and T-shirt leggings. <laughs> I keep eating oh my all my God. Night Vale socks. I need new ones. They don't pay us in real money. Please donate to our Patreon. Please. Yes. That's the only way. We need the real money. Please. We got to get that, that Skrilla. Is that a popular term? Do people still say no, Skrilla? No. No one says What is it that. now? Papers? Chasing papers? I think it's just called. I think it's just called money. Oh. All I really need is money. 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 Wait, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't need that. I need like, that money. It's not about the money. money. Money, money. I'm, I'm twerking. You're cardi right for me. Thank you. I'm just bouncing up and down in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> if only you could see, listeners. If only you could I stopped see. bouncing after three bounces and then just moved my hands. <laughs> I was like, this is exhausting. <laughs> It's hot in here, and I know I'm going to start an oven and make chicken taquitos when we're done recording. Ooh, chicken taquitos. Yeah. Trader Joe's. Jennifer just put her thumbs up. She's to my right. You heard chicken taquitos? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that thumb. Oh, you want some of the chicken taquitos? 
Oh, she's dancing. See? It's contagious. <laughs> we got the taquito fever. Mm-mm. That's that's how you really hook up hook up a partner is through taquitos. That's how we met taquitos.com. <laughs> it's just taquitos. It's just taquitos. T date. Taquito meets taquito. That's the app we use. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i fucking love taquitos they're so good yeah they're they're pretty great Cause, and and they're perfectly handleable and then you can just like dip it in the sour cream i don't use sour cream you just use greek yogurt or a uh, guacamole or, or salsa even i like to put a like a salsa in there and then dip it in the salsa <laughs> the i mean taquitos are really good it, like it's textural experience you've got like your crunch soft you're good like you're like crunchy turn soggy a little yeah. bit too it's yeah. great like oh yeah like a nacho sort of thing yes. so the, yes. the cheese hits the chip kind of the intersection of the cheese and the chip i'm looking right I'm now at, at the pan i'm going to use because we got these i listen i know they're not sponsoring us but i just want to give a quick plug to silicone baking mats because I have Ooh, a silpat. it's oh, sitting out because yeah. it's there. There are cookies on it that I made recently <laughs> that are cooled, but I can just lift the silpat and then put another. I have three silpats. Slap down three the next silpat. Yeah, I, well, you have the one, and we loved it. And then I was at the Amazon bookstore nearby, and I was like, "Oh, these are a steal! Two of them for like seven bucks." Wow, that's a really good deal. So I bought them, and now I'm going to put another silpat down. I'm going to load it up with taquitos, and I'm going to. Bake those MFers, and then my wife and I are going to go ham on them. Do you um, have silpats? Like you have a savory one and a sweet one, or do you just like doesn't matter? Just raw no, dog, whatever flavor. I'm raw dog. It, yeah, I mean, it, the, yeah. I'd wash them afterwards, so it's not like they're seasoned. So, well, yeah. Are you guys gonna run a train on those taquitos? I'm gonna run a train on those taquitos. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well, we've learned. That Hal and all of us actually love taquitos. Yes. We've also learned that Cecil is terrible at paying attention. True. Mm. And like now, but it leaves us to wonder who bought it because he couldn't see it because he was crying. That's right. You know what, Cecil? You need to suck it up. (laughs) You were crying so you couldn't see who bought it. I, if I knew someone else bought me or the name Symphony Sanders, I would definitely find – I would want to see them and then figure out how I could manipulate them into giving me meat back. Or just finding out why you bought me. Like, what's your plan for me? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's your plan to buy me and then just like we go on vacation? Like, that's fine. But if your plan is like <laughs> to buy me and then do something not cool, then not, nah, dude. I think <laughs> – I think Carlos bought him. That's your early theory? That's my theory. We find out later, right? Yes. Isn't isn't it crazy to think that we're talking about the auction and Lot 37 and the paperback book, the buying of Lot 37, is coming out on May 14th? Oh, we're nodding. Yes. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? We're, we're like, mm-hmm. I think I have an essay in that one. <gasps> I think that's the one my essay said. I have one in the yeah buying of Lot 37 as well, I think. I wrote two of them. Ooh. I think I wrote two of them. It was so long ago. No one asked me to write anything. Oh, <gasps> why? Let's be honest. I'm not a writer or a comedian, and my Twitter is like sad. So, like, <laughs> no, 
It's yeah. just me complaining about like the CTA or some <laughs> other. <laughs> do you have, do you have mad aunt Twitter? Oh, great. Aunt Cheryl's got Twitter. She just spends all of her time yelling at Kroger's about their meat section. <laughs> and another thing, here's how chicken should be stored. All caps. Um, yes, it's all it's all very confusing. No, um, I'll be upset about something or I'll just like sometimes I'll write things that I just ponder about. Or I'm I'm promoting some business that I'm doing. I'm not very good at Twitter. I'm much better Flat at- tummy tea. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> Nah, none of that flat tummy tea shit. I'm not fucking with that. Um, and that's like mainly on Instagram anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I spend most of my time on Instagram. So I just take a lot of pictures of myself and animals and handstands. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're the handstand queen. But you know what? They're good. They're good photos and they're artistically like, come on. They are. You're great a, photos. You have a very good, active, high quality Instagram. I am terrible at Instagram. I Thanks. cannot. I don't. I can't keep up with it. Like I can't. I. I don't think about it enough. Mm. Once every like four months, I'll post a picture of Joseph in front of something, and yeah. that is my Instagram. <laughs> I always tag you and stuff, hoping that one day you'll just like repost something that I've tagged you in because you look so cute. But like you don't ever. I don't know. I mean, I know how to do it, but like, I don't, I don't know. Whenever I'm on the road, you can literally like, just screenshot it. Yeah. Whenever I'm on the road, I'm so singularly focused on the task. And that's when we get all the good photos. That's when they all come in. We're like, there's good fan photos or good stuff on the road. And then I'm like, oh, cool. And then, but I'm just so busy doing the other shit. And then I come home and I'm like, oh, I looked good in that. But I'm like, it's from like four months ago. I'm not just going to like post a rando picture of me. Why? <laughs> That's literally know. what that's for. That's the whole point. It's rando pictures. Hashtag latergram, bitch. Joseph pointing at a mountain is always good, or Joseph pointing at a statue, or Joseph. But then, but then Joseph's is you pointing at stuff. Yeah. Are you near a horse? Yeah. Or you just like kind of smiling, but in a trucker hat? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> yep. that's the majority of you guys' pictures, and I'm here for it. I like, love it. I'm not gonna. I'm not unsubscribing or anything. I'm like, yeah. I'm following this hard, but you know, sometimes I just think we should post cute pictures. But my mom, I, my mom wants me to me. post more on Instagram. So I know anytime I post a good picture of you, she just messages me back like 100, and then the like praise hands. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's my shit. So, yeah, so Cecil loses out on himself. Yeah, he's a sad boy. But you know what? He kind of gets over it a little bit. and he, But then he's like, he's like, I go now to find myself or to find who has myself or to find someone that might make me feel better about what has happened today. I take that last one, honestly. I take that last one. Aw. Hmm. And I like, I also makes me think a little bit of Carlos when he says, I bid you farewell, the fondness of which is determined by your place relative to my heart. And I think that's mm. a nice thing to say, too. Because when people are like, oh, I bid you a fond farewell, it's like, how fond is it, though? Like, <laughs> Give me a number. Mm-mm. Right. On the scale of one to ten, how fond is that farewell? And then we go to the popular medical, home medical program. Yes, that's probably cancer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. 
it that always makes me think of like Doctor Google, you know, Doctor like, Google. When you're yeah. like, Good there's Lord. there's something happening, and I'm not sure, or I have a pain here. Is it cancer? And you're like, and they're like, yes, you have brain cancer now. And you're like, <laughs> most of the time, it's just like you bumped into a doorway and you have a bruise there. Yeah, I had uh, like my ankles were discolored after I went on a hike last week, and it was just because my freaking shoes were like dirty and too tight, and they weren't actually bruised. Uh, but I was like, Joseph, my ankles are bruised. He's like, should we go to the internet and find out what type of cancer you have? Like, <laughs> oh, God bless that young man. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> this episode's weather was absentee by Jack Campbell. And here we are. I liked um, this song a lot. It made me, okay, this is going to sound, I hate comparing band, like music people to other music people because it's not really fair. But like, literally, that's what I do every time. And this one, uh, this sounds so terrible, but it made me think of, it was just boppy, like Vampire Weekend, but like better quality than Vampire Weekend. Hey, I like Vampire Weekend. Uh, I do I like too, too, but like, I don't want people to judge me. It's okay. It's okay to like Vampire Weekend. It's okay to like whatever you want to like. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It's really like nice. It's like a jaunty, like it feels jaunty. Yes. I like the, I don't know if he's playing an organ there or if it's just like a, a, who can even think of the word? doesn't matter. I'm not sure what he's playing there, but the, the keyed instrument he's playing, I really like. So during my journalism, I Googled him and this song and I found a post that he put on Facebook who's responding to a fan who posted their interpretations of the lyrics. And he said, that's great. I love when people interpret my lyrics. This is what it's about though. Um, So this is, this is from him on Facebook. He said, I wrote the lyrics over the course of a few months. So a couple different life events inspired them. But the main thread is a comparison of familiarity with your loved ones to relationships that are more out of your comfort zone. For example, Mm. I'm adopted. And while I was writing the song, I had a very rare interaction with my birth father. It made me think about how comfortable I feel about my non-biological family that I grew up with and how uncomfortable it was talking to someone who I felt like I should have a strong feelings for, even though I barely knew him with that said he's a fine man it's a strange situation then i got to thinking about how the line between very close friends and family was very blurred in my life because of my lack of blood relationships which points to the it could be anyone part at the time of writing i was going through weird dating stuff very cliche for pop songs you know but hormones Uh, (laughs) and i was thinking about how the girl i was dating was my friend for years before we started dating and how my past failed relationships were all with people who i had just met The first part of the song revolves around how hard that familiarity can be to come by if you're looking for a girlfriend or boyfriend. I felt the need to write it because if our relationship failed, I'd pretty much be screwed on the dating front as meeting new people and getting close to them in a romantic way is way too overstimulating for me. But yeah, Mm -hmm. to be honest, the meaning of it morphs from time to time as I play it more. I wrote it back when I was a sophomore in high school and I've played it ever since, but the gist stays the same. Scary love is scary and it's worth appreciating the people in your life that are only slightly uncomfortable with seeing you walk around the house in your underwear. <laughs> so that's, that's from wow. on Facebook. Let's from Jack on Facebook. Um, you, wrote, you wrote this when you were a sophomore in high school. Way to go. You. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Jeez. I'm, I'm always so impressed with like, I mean, when we talk to Mal and, you know, we talk to John and all sorts of people and, and Danny and whatnot. It's always amazing to me when you hear from musicians and like, I always feel like their feelings are so much deeper than mine. And I know that's not true. 
but like they just have a different way of expressing it that makes you feel like it's so intense or like so deep or something. I don't know. And it touches you in a way. And maybe it's just their way of being able to describe it that makes you feel like, oh yeah, that is what it feels like to be in love. Or, oh, that is what it feels like when you're like, oh, my relationship to this person, my friend is also the same as like my relationship to my brother, not the same, but like on a similar level, you care for these people just as much, you know? It, it, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah, so much to be said about like chosen family and family and what that mm-hmm. means. And then in his case, with the being adopted, so right. uh, there's that's everyone is kind of chosen family for you at that point. Uh, yeah. If you don't have a relationship with your birth family, it's that um, yeah, adoption comes from the word adoptare, I believe, which I think means to choose or chosen one. So it's to choose someone to be a part of your family, which I think is great. I think it's cool to be, I think adoption is really cool. I think being chosen is a really cool word to use for applying it to what we do when we, when we make someone a part of our family and that chosen family can be lots of different things. So we have a very big Night Vale chosen family. Yeah. You guys are definitely my chosen family, part of my chosen family. And I, I, I constantly feel so grateful that I have gotten it. And I, and I say this often and not, and this is not, it's so crazy because it's in, in no way disingenuous. I truly love everyone that I work with on this show. Um, and through Welcome to Night Vale, um, because they've, be- we've become so close, you know, we've been through the fire, we've traveled together, we've done all sorts of things. And, but like also everybody's so cool and so nice and so sweet and caring wonderful people so it's very difficult not to have those feelings right knowing that they would be there for you and and we've had those situations where it's like we've had to be there for each other and it's wonderful uh and i feel very fortunate to uh have that in my life likewise likewise same z's yeah we have a, a beautiful thing going on we have a really good culture uh in our in our workplace that makes it more than a workplace yeah yeah stay right there good morning night vale will return after a brief break that's the sound of me smelling my own armpit because i smell like a coconut vanilla cookie And I smell like that because of native deodorant. Good Morning Night Vale is very pleased to be able to offer you 20% off of your first purchase of native deodorant by going to nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code GOODMORNING at checkout. I find myself very lucky to live in a time in history when deodorant exists. Think about how bad George Washington must have smelled and be grateful that you don't have to go anywhere near that. I don't want you to be stinky. I want you to smell great. And I want you to do that without endangering your body with harsh chemicals. Native Deodorant can do that for you. Their products are naturally formulated and aluminum-free, so you're not going to be slowly poisoned by your own armpits. You're going to have to find another way to die. And while you're finding that other way to die, you will smell great with a naturally-derived deodorant that actually works. Native Deodorant is not tested on animals, so no narwhals, which are real, will be injured for you to smell awesome. Visit nativedeodorant.com, use promo code GOODMORNING, and don't smell like George Washington. Do you have trouble getting the sleepies like I do, having a good night's sleep, like a full night's sleep? 
let me introduce you to Feels, which is the premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. If you're like me and you have trouble, if you have stress, if you have anxiety, pain, or sleeplessness, then you just put a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. And if you're like me and you are new to CBD like I was, they offer a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash good morning, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash good morning to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash good morning. So today we have Glenn David Gold, the author of the episode of The Auction, with us on a Google Hangout. Welcome, Glenn. Hey. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a delight. Yeah, you're not too physically far away from me right now. You're probably like a three quarters of a mile away from me right now, <laughs> but we are connected yeah. via technology. Yeah, I'm one ugly road away from you. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Glenn, this is a question we ask a lot of our guests, but this episode aired in December 15th, 2013. Yeah. What was Glenn David Gold's life like back then? <laughs> How dare you ask me that question? <laughs> <laughs> we ask the tough questions here. Yeah, at I'm I'm calling both my manager and my agent and my lawyer at this point. Um, I was uh, I was living up in a little cabin in a tiny town called uh, Inverness or, or Point Reyes up uh, north of San Francisco. It's a little place of about uh, 700 people. Uh, and uh, I had a big dog and I was doing a lot of driving. Okay. And I was uh, sort of stalled out on this memoir I was working on. You know, sometimes you have those moments where you have great creative leaps forward and it's as if everything you're doing is just, you know, another day of just typing diamonds. This is great. That was not <laughs> what was going on at all. It was ashes every day, pretty much. Oh, okay. um, so I was, I was in a fallow period, um, I guess is a polite way to put it. Artistically. Yeah, artistically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where's that and dog now? Uh, poor dog. Uh, well, she's actually ashes now. Um, oh, she rest. Oh, no. At as yeah. we all one day will be. As we all one day be. No, she she had the time of her life, though. She was a gigantic Shiloh Shepherd, um, which oh. is a kind of long-haired German Shepherd. Yeah. Very, very sweet. Um, but we were living – it was like her, her mornings were fantastic. I'd like open the door of the, of the uh, cabin, and she'd like walk down to this creek and stand in it and drink out of it. And uh, that was what kind of life. the highlight of her – yeah, it was, it was great. It was the highlight of my day as well. You know, she, I, I would a, like that day, just drinking well, out of a <laughs> yeah. out of a stream. <laughs> yeah, a freshwater stream. It was yeah. good. I think we had a little, we had some coho salmon uh, spawning in that stream at some point. It yeah. was uh, it was very exotic. It was nice. Um, salmon roe has a lot of protein. So. It, it does. Omega three fatty acids good for yeah, your brain. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Those are yeah. good for you. Yeah. I get mine from gummies because I'm like a five-year-old. I can't. I won't eat fish. I hate fish. I hate it. I'm sorry. You I'm and sorry. Joseph, I swear. You and Joseph. Well, he's Are right. gummies kind of the new new Flintstones chewable on that? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Joseph does not like fish, does he? No, I... Uh, no, no, he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. And 
I when I we first started dating, I ate a lot more seafood. It was like my protein of choice. I'm like, yeah. you know, Italian American. We eat a lot of fish. Um, mm-hmm. It's like part of my culture. And then yeah, and then yeah, I kind of stopped. Just not like not really stopped, but like it just kind of phased out. And I also just started eating more vegetables anyway because yeah. you know fo- Fukushima. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> sure. uh, but I so oh, actually so the town I was living in it's where all the farmers who grow all the food for the restaurants in San Francisco live. Oh, cool. So what's kind of cool about this little town is that it's it's got that kind of you know there's it's tiny it's like a northern exposure type place everybody knows each other's business. Yeah. But you you can't get a bad meal anywhere. Even this the Greasy Spoon Diner was organic, and you know the the neighbors would you know they they'd be gathering the eggs from the back of the place to to deliver there. It was a very it was a good place to go and try to get back my creative mojo. Okay. Yeah. So then so then the the Night Vale opportunity came up for you and uh, you know reading your introduction to this episode you said you did what most established writers do and you blew them off which I love cuz that's the truth. That is what happens. Yeah. You're like I don't know these people. If you don't have yeah. like a personal in like introduction it makes it difficult to be like okay. So how did you end up being like giving them the yes? I know some people have probably read this, but let's uh, go through it. Oh yeah, well it's pretty simple. I kept I, I, I kept hearing about the show, and then one day I was driving back to Inverness from Southern California on Highway Five, which for people who haven't done that is uh, at night, especially it's a lonely, spooky place to drive, especially if you do it right. And <laughs> it just it was so perfect. I. I I probably wasn't even five minutes into the first episode where I was like, okay, I understand this place. This is, these are my people who are doing this thing. Uh, (laughs) And I was probably about like two episodes in before I thought, oh, I hope there's not an auction episode already because like, (laughs) in my, in my world, if I do a world building thing of anything, there's generally going to be an auction pretty quickly. And, yeah, so I uh, I got in touch with Joseph and confirmed that no, there was not yet an auction. So um, I, w- I was given clearance to do that. So what is it about auctions? Well, they're inherently dramatic. You know, um, they're they're like any sort of sports that you get involved in, and that there's something to cheer for, and there's a moment of excitement, and also. It's like, but it's like popcorn at the same time. It's like lot, 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 you know, each one that comes up, there's a whole other set of people who are jockeying to get this thing, whatever it is. Uh, also, uh, I am a, I'm a compulsive collector of stuff. Huh. I actually used to have a problem with it. Um, I used to have <laughs> <laughs> What do you collect? Uh, I used to collect original comic book artwork. So like the stuff that Jack Kirby drew when he was doing the Avengers and the Mm -hmm. Fantastic Four and stuff like that. And uh, it it occupied a lot of my non-writing life doing the research to figure stuff out about uh, comic books and artwork and things like that. I think I I think I messaged you about this at the time, but there in in Encino out here. A couple of years ago, there was a, a a traveling Jack Kirby exhibit. Oh yeah, and my wife and I went to see it, and like, I feel like it's conservative to say half of the pieces there were yours. It may have been more. Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how long did it yeah. take you to? How many of those did you get at an auction? Were a lot of them those auction pieces, or did you just sort of hunt them down? Well, it uh, it varies. Um, some of the things were definitely uh, they came up in auction, but mostly. 
So my dad, who is also a compulsive collector, he was a clock and watch guy. Mm-hmm. He always said that there's no substitute for information except money. And <laughs> in the sense of like artwork and stuff, what that means for me is that I got really, really good. All right. So I know I'm, I know that I'm talking to other people who are obsessed, so I'm not going to get like obsession shamed for this, but no, I'll no. just tell you one story of how I got a piece of artwork. I got on eBay and I bought every issue of an old collector's magazine, the Comic Buyer's Guide. Mm-hmm. I got every issue from 1974 to 1978. Oh, cool. That was several hundred issues of it. And I went through and I clipped out every single ad for selling original comic artwork. And then I called the phone numbers. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I love that. Like 40 years later. That's like cold calling. See, random. Yeah. Oh, really? It, well, it's a cold case out there. You know, it's. Uh, oh, wow. How fascinating. So, you know, a lot of people thought I was insane. Um, but a couple <laughs> people still had art and would talk to me about it. And then one guy had one piece of art and I bought it from him. And it was, it was an old Steve Ditko Spider-Man page. But like. On one hand, how many hours of my life did that take me? And, you know, I could have been taking that time maybe building personal relationships. <laughs> on the other hand, nah. you know, people fail you, you know, people, yeah. <laughs> people leave pieces of art. You put them on the wall. They're fine. You know, Look, um, uh, yeah. Maybe we have a similar brain, but I hear that story and go, well, yeah. you did 100% the right thing. People will be around <laughs> I later. I love you, Hal. <laughs> that's, that's rare art. Like to, to even get. The fact you were able to get anything out of that right. was incredible. Like, I love that. Uh, but you're also talking to somebody who's seen uh, Endgame five times in the theater so far. And so, have you seen it five times? I've seen oh, it God. five times. And I'm cried, going again Cried tomorrow. how many times? Every time. Every it time. gets worse the more you see it because then you <laughs> anticipate the things that are going to make you cry. And it, they do. They still do. Oh, yeah. You know the tears are coming. Glenn, even though you know you only got one piece of artwork out of those, uh, all of those calls and whatnot, the experience though, uh, like the interaction with each one of those people, is probably very interesting. And uh, you know the fact that you said that uh, you found something on eBay—that's the only auction that I've ever auction, and I use that with quotation (laughs) marks. I've never been (laughs) to a live auction. I imagine it's like different. Do you really use like the paddle? People use the paddles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do they have like tells? And I'm wiggling my hands for those of you who can't see me, which is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, do they do a, like a nose tap or like a shoulder brush? Tell people from what I have seen, uh, Symphony has now bid $300,000. Uh, <laughs> for, for those of you who are, who are not on, uh, on Google Hangout right now, uh, Symphony has just bought herself a new set of flatware for $300,000. Uh, um, yeah, no, yeah, no, all that stuff happens. I, um, but really, uh, I don't rarely go to physical auctions anymore. Almost all of them are on the internet. Now. Oh, okay. So, there's like there'll be a live auctioneer and you are at home on your computer alone, you know, panting and salivating, <laughs> waiting for this thing to show up. And you don't know who you're bidding against. You don't know where they are. And uh, you don't know until the moment, you know, there's like this there's this rush of excitement and anticipation of getting this thing. And then there's the agony of defeat if you don't get it. And then there's like, yes, what's the next lot? Yeah. You know, waiting for the next thing. And that that's, you know, 
nobody is ever satisfied. There's there's uh, comic art guys who I hang out with who are like, you know, this piece of art that I'm looking for, it's my grail. It's like, this is the holy grail. I mean, a grail is a term of art that people use now. <laughs> and it never is. You know, it's not as if once you got one holy grail that, you know, oh, wait, no, there's a second holy grail. <laughs> but for, unless you're a comic art collector. Yeah. I guess yeah, yeah. that's the thing about things over people. My uh, yes, <laughs> my father collects Golden Age uh, Superman comics, and he's trying to get oh. I think one through twenty, and I th- I, th- yeah. I think the only three he's missing are three, two, and one. And every year at San Diego, he goes hunting and keeps getting close to buying them because you know at, at a certain point, you certainly have a budget that you're working with, and then within that yeah. budget, when your budget isn't super high, you're work you're working with lower quality, so you have yeah. to make this trade off between. Do, how badly do I want it, just it, in my collection, whatever shape, versus I really want it to look great? Yeah. It can't yeah. be just anything. Yeah. And I feel like in this episode, uh, you really get that sort of sense of urgency from Cecil, especially. I mean, it's him, question mark, <laughs> that is yeah. up for sale. So it's like, you know, it's the interest of figuring out who, like, what is, who, who's put this up. Like, how can he get it and all those things? So, yeah. I, I mean, you built that in. I mean, I had never even experienced that sort of thing. And I felt that tension throughout the episode. Oh, nice. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, no, I thought when I when I was making up the episode, I was just thinking, you know, what, of course, is the ultimate thing that any collector would like to find in an auction? It's like, yeah, themselves, of course. <laughs> <laughs> How was your approach to writing this? Was it any different than, than it would be writing anything else? Or because it sounds like you had a pretty good idea, like you were already starting to formulate it on that initial yeah. drive, right? How much of it, how much of what you imagined on that drive made it in and what was the process like from there? Yeah, that's interesting. It was it was pretty quick. And also, uh Hal Lublin, you have the benefit of I believe you have said words aloud uh in another uh venue that I wrote for for the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yes. Um true. I wrote a, a couple episodes from, I believe I did that right before uh, Night Thought. I wrote in uh, Beyond Belief for one of their, uh, I think it was a Valentine's episode mm-hmm. um, that I wrote for them. So that those are two very, very different uh, experiences. One of the things that um, th- that with, with Night Vale was it was very easy to listen to sort of the floating weirdness that was not attached to anything else that were Cecil's monologues. And I thought, oh, this is like Joe Frank. This reminds me... <laughs> Of uh, is that a name people bring up much? I mean, uh, not on this show so far. Really? <laughs> okay. You're the first. Oh well, the, it really it, it the vibe for me of of Joe Frank was that you follow an eerie feeling somewhere until you get to absurdity, mm. and then go just a little further, and there's like a humanity on the other side of the absurdity, and. That to me, I don't know. I just, I, I understand. It's like, um, it's, 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 it's my language. It's, some people can speak in blank verse, you know, like you <laughs> go to the improvised Shakespeare company and these yeah. guys can rattle that off. Yeah. With this, it's like, as soon as I heard Cecil saying what Joseph and Jeffrey were writing, it's like, okay, I get, I get this particular way of how a block of text that is written get, can get, get expressed. And it, it makes sense to me. It was a little harder to figure out, um, plot but it always is plot is much harder than like uh individual vibes Mm. but i think uh in night veil especially at this early stage in the episodes like the plot was not necessarily important at that time 
yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't a yeah. There was not a lot of chronology that I needed to uh, to fit in there. But I mean, just the the plot of the you know just getting a you know realizing okay, I'm going to block at a certain point when I realized that it was going to be an auction. I think that I I sent uh, Joseph a little bit of uh, kind of an outline of it, and he approved. And so I knew I knew kind of where I wanted it to rise and fall. But I also knew that. You have to have a break for the weather. You have to have uh, uh, subplots mm-hmm. and not just the main plot. Right. I suggested some of those, and then I, I think that he, uh, he ended up moving them around a little bit, and they worked out better than, than what I had suggested. I just would write until it made me laugh and then hit save <laughs> and then keep going. And it wasn't that different from drafting until I turned it in. Uh, it, it was uh, pretty quick. When you approach something like I just I'm interested in the differences between thrilling and and Night Vale in a different way. Whereas thrilling, you know, you're writing it at a time where it's already been around. It's like there's a lot of well established canon in that world. Yeah. Uh, when you come into Night Vale, which is which is relatively younger, do you feel like you have more room to in that in that sort of sandbox to add new things? What? How much of it is? Well, you can't sort of stay away from this. Were, were there borders yeah. to where you were allowed to go? Oh, no, I mean, uh, Joseph and Jeff are incredibly welcoming to, you know, whatever, whatever weirdness you want to follow, go right ahead. You know, um, I definitely didn't run into any walls at all, either in this or the, or the later uh, episodes I wrote. Um, it was like, did you see the uh, movie by Lake Bell called In a World? Yes. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good. It's a, it's a first feature and she wrote and directed it and it's about the hard-edged, hard-living, cutthroat world of voiceover work. And it's it's terrific. And the thing is, it's its its own little strange world. And she doesn't give you any handholds at first. It's just you have to plunge in and kind of accept that some weird things are at stake that she's not going to um, uh, explain to you. Mm-hmm. And it was exciting to me that – and I, I saw her uh, do a presentation of that at Pixar – and at the end of it, I went. I asked her. I said, "Were you worried about the audience not getting the weirdness of the world you wanted to explain?" And she said, "I didn't think about the audience at all. I just followed <laughs> what was interesting." And I was like, "Oh, that's that's really a good a good direction, generally speaking." And I get that with with Night Vale is that don't worry about how weird you're being. It's not as if they're gonna, they're going to like back and go, "Oh no 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 no." That you know, look out there, dude. Um, it's more like if it makes a kind of emotional sense, if it makes a sort of, um, if, it, if it feels like it resonates with the rest of the landscape there already, sure, let's, let's put it in. And that was, that was exciting to do. Uh, and with Thrilling, it, which is also fantastic, it was much more um, hands-on with, with, with Ben rewriting stuff and making it, you know, because he's very much about, about the performance and about, um, and about sort of crafting things to the specific actors who he'd been working with for like 10 years at that point. Sure. So like, he knew how Paul and Paget would deliver lines um, in a way that were he, you know reorganizing the text and stuff, so he knew where they would hit it, which was really really uh, lovely too. Yeah, and with Joseph and Jeffrey, I feel like when we're present and we I feel like we've talked about this before, but when we're presented with the material, we're given the text and just let free <laughs> to do what yeah. we will with it, and yeah. eventually after you know we've worked together for a while, there'll be like little things, but really they just want us to do whatever we can with the words. Do you guys feel that way too? 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the the way that um, Glenn describes how they were with uh, him being a writer on the episode is how they are with us being actors, where it's like, yeah, yeah. just go out there and do it. And then, <laughs> and then yeah. we'll see what comes back. And if, if, if somehow the world gets blown up, we'll stop that from happening. But other than yeah. that, just do it. Yeah, no, it works. It uh, it works well. Yeah, definitely. Like, for, I, I'm, I always want more direction than I get. <laughs> from from Joseph and Jeffrey, which comes out of trust. That's more me yeah. just going, well, I want to please you guys and make sure I deliver on your vision, but right. they give us a ton of freedom. But it was also the same with with the Bens. Like, again, you brought up, they knew us well enough to sort of throw us anything, and yeah. they were sort of hesitant to give direction unless they had a specific voice or, you know, you get adjustments afterwards. But that's one of the joys of working with both groups is – the tremendous amount of trust and it, and not like a trust that's given preciously, but yeah. just like sort of a wholesale trust of what you do and, and who you are. It's very, it's a uh, very <laughs> uncomfortable for me personally, <laughs> yeah. but that's my issue, not theirs. So I had a question for, for you guys also is, is because I was thinking about, cause I went back and I had a, uh, when I re-listened to episodes if I the ones that I've written, I can't really listen to. Like, mm-hmm. huh. I like I can I can physically. It's not like I'm repulsed by them or mm-hmm. anything, but like I don't I don't judge them in any way. But actually participating in the story unfolding, like I'm I'm sort of suspended above it in a kind of way, and it's hard for me to like you know I it's it's hard they're hard for me to evaluate as an audience member. Do you have the same experience with your stuff? No, I love listening to myself (laughs) and looking at myself (laughs) and experiencing whatever it is to be symphony, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I have a, I have a similar thing to, to yours, Glenn, where it's like, you you know that you're not experiencing it as an audience member, but Mm -hmm. you're still trying to put yourself into that position. So it is this kind of like, other experience it is not yeah. what it is like to watch something it's not what it is like to make something it is like on the outside of that yeah so i, I do i do sometimes get a little cringy but i'm like the there's the thing in my brain that's like you know that's just because it's you it's not necessarily you know at this point in the game i i know when i'm fucking something up right yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so i yeah so i can be like ah, i fucked that up or i didn't yeah. fuck that up uh yeah. but yeah i get really analytical which is why I tend to yeah. avoid stuff that I did because I'd rather let it – whatever I did, let it live as it is. And however people react is how they're going to react. Obviously, going back and listening to it is not going to change it for me. But I, it will yeah. color my opinion and it might cha- – you know, I, it becomes looking at game tape sort of. So then mm, the next yeah. thing that I do, I'm, I'm trying to apply what I did to something that may be completely unrelated. Uh, yeah. And that, that doesn't have as much value as it might sound like it does – uh, to people who are listening to this. Because a lot of times you want to study things you've done. You know, in sports, obviously, you want to look at what mm-hmm. you did so you can do it better next time. But I think it's so different each time uh, you do something different in either Night Vale or Thrilling or anywhere that it's kind of hard to apply specific performance notes to yeah. the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that's really tough about stand-up is – building a stand-up set is listening to yourself over and over again and watching yourself go through the motions. That's one of the reasons I have trouble doing stand-up outside of Night Vale is because it's like you, in order to get good at it, you have to watch a lot of game tape of yourself right. and recordings of yourself. And that's just like, oh, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. tough. 
You're like, why am I doing this here? Why am I pausing at this point? If I just waited there or this, or the audience is reacting this way here. It's like, it's, yeah, there's so much of that stuff. And yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. With, yeah, with podcasting, it's kind of like with voice work, it's kind of like, I just try to experience it in that other sense in that, like, I'm a ghost haunting this sort of thing. Like I'm right. not actually a, a person who's in the room anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. That's one of the benefits of, uh, of just being a writer for a living rather than performing anything in person for a living is that I don't have to try to watch myself or judge my own performance in there. It's just, it's on, there's a distance, there's the page that uh, yeah. I can, you know, sort of put, put it at, put it at a distance. So. Yeah. You don't have to look, you don't have to look at your face or hear your stupid, stupid voice. <laughs> <laughs> or watch people read your book. Just sit down yeah. and watch someone read your book. And you're like, I have I have seen people reading my book before. It's always a weird experience in the wild. To Wait, were they reading that. it out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Sounding out words. Oh no, you just mean like just sitting there reading it? Okay, yeah, I was no, really no, confused. Like, I thought you meant yeah. like at a. Re- they're like, oh, this is my favorite Glenn David Gould passage. <laughs> <laughs> What you haven't run into that before when you've been? (laughs) I have. I have not. Will you approach somebody if you see them reading your book? No, one hundred percent. No, no. I because hey, you like that? I I, so I well for two reasons. One of them was one time was a setup. I was interviewing David Blaine for the New York Times, and we were at a we were at the Getty. The exhibition was about magic, of course, and he and I were talking and there was somebody reading Carter Beats the Devil in the lobby. Uh, That's a book I wrote. And um, he said to me, whoa, Glenn, Glenn, somebody's reading your book. And because that's how Dave communicates excitement. And uh, I said, yeah, that's that's nice. He said, don't you want to go talk to them? And... Like, no, 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 no. He said, "Really? It, no, really. You probably. Yeah, it's. It's. How often does that happen?" I said, "Well, you know, I just. I just don't talk to people when they're reading. I like. I like them to have their own experience." Mm-hmm. Clearly, he had set something up because <laughs> oh, no. over and over again, when I was interviewing him, he set stuff up. Like he, there was something that was supposed to happen with throwing dice in a men's room. There was a, a homeless <laughs> guy who came. Who came up to us? Who he did a card trick for that was obviously previously set up and stuff like that. Uh, he had a fake uh, production meeting with his people uh, for a show that didn't actually exist. He was he was running all kinds of scams on me. So anyway, at that point, I started to become suspicious if I ever ran into anybody reading my work in, in public. So <laughs> I, I just, just love the. The idea of you turning him down and him going, you can leave, Larry. The guy just gets up with a trail of handkerchiefs behind him as he leaves the lobby. There's rabbits pouring out. That $25 check better clear. What a strange thing. That's a great idea, David Blaine. Next time I'm being interviewed to do promo for a live show by a college newspaper, I'm going to just really play some traps for them. So much. When when the episode dropped, were you – I mean, you don't strike me as somebody who would obsessively go and look for feedback, but were you like, I wonder how people react to this? Because I I assume your goal is in writing something like this that they would sort of – immediately accepted into the canon and not be like, wait, something's different. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I was actually pretty good with the first, with the first one. I, 
I was feeling more needy when the other episodes came out and really? uh, looked at react. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know exactly what, what the difference was. I think I might've actually been briefly relatively mentally healthy when I wrote the episode. Uh, oh, and- good for you. <laughs> what is that like? It does really show in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> uh, but I, I, uh, I really dug. Um, I mean, my, my impression was that uh, it, it seemed to slip in relatively well. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Were there any controversies? Were people? Uh, did people call bullshit on anything? That I not notice. No, I. I think I remember people being really just stressed out that Cecil was up for auction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that was it. But they're always stressed out about something. <laughs> like whatever's yeah. happening, they're like. Ah! It launched a lot of conspiracy theories. A lot of a lot of like big hot takes about like what who bought him, what could it mean, what does it mean to be yeah. lot thirty seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously it became it became a, a you know it's one of the things you left in the sandbox that Joseph and Jeffrey picked up and started playing with. Well, yeah. Oh, actually. Well, so yeah. That's that's a major change that ha- that's like the one major change they made. Am I, are we supposed to talk about this or we just leave it, leave like you can talk about whatever you want because this could, I, I don't mean to ruin any lives, but um, <laughs> I, I had it wrapped up. I had it one and done by the end. I, I, I left it. I closed it up. I, I had uh, that uh, the, the, the item was returned to the auction at the end oh. Uh, oh. that Cecil had shamed them. Uh, they had been listening. And the idea was that they had, they had returned the item and it was Joseph and Jeffrey's idea to leave it open and like, no, it's uh, it's it's still gone. And that was actually that was brilliant. Um, I really liked that when I heard it. Did you approach it to be self-contained like that? Because you figured, well, I'm writing a uh, not a one-off, but yeah. it makes more sense that whatever. I, like, if I, I you don't want to leave it open, so it feels like you're asking to yeah. come back, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I just figured that this would just be. I didn't want to change anything. Um, and I thought it would be. Uh, I just keep a low profile. Get in, get out. You know. I won't leave a mess. And they were like, no, leave a mess. We'll, we'll yes. clean it up later. That'll be fun. We and the mess. one thing that, that I'd written, you know, it's, it's hard also to judge what the good, uh, kind of the cold opening segment will be that, mm-hmm. you know, the phrase or so, whatever, whatever Cecil's going to say in the beginning. And then mm-hmm. what little non plot bit place bits of weirdness you want to put in, whether they're going to fit or not. And they pulled, I just had this one line about, uh, baristas, uh, lining up for uh, day laborer jobs uh, that they pulled and they put it, they ended up putting it into the next episode. And like, I kept on thinking about that and that's what ended up making me do the the next, uh, the, the next arc to me, to me, I just thought it was just going to be a, a very quick one shot and get out and uh, watch what everybody did with it. And it was, what was great about it also was hearing Cecil read everything because mm-hmm. I know his performance has grown and changed and everything over time. But what was really exciting about it in the first place is that I'd heard, however many episodes of it before is he was really in voice and in character and hearing his delivery of this stuff, um, it made it funnier. It was, uh, there was, you can kind of hear him taking it on as character in ways that I, I had not predicted. And I really dug it. He's tricky that way, Cecil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The little, the little part where he is monologuing about not having put his paddle up and his yes. frustrations with himself. It just, it cracked me up. That's uh, it's lovely. Yeah, I love that piece of it. Do, is is there a sense that it's sort of writing something like this is kind of like writing an essay? And the reason I ask that is there's always sort Good of like God. a figure. <laughs> you, you have your like thesis set up right at the top, but yeah. then at the end oh. you always summarize. Like everything has to. 
everything not has to, but generally summarizes. And it either comes back to yeah. to what the initial setup was, or like it, there something has to be gleaned from all of the action. I hear what you're saying. That's an interesting point. Um, it's a good way of putting it because what I what I know in my in my writing experience so far, I've learned that things usually work out best for me if I know like maybe. 20% of what it is I want to do. Like when I sit down, if I know kind of the general vibe of it, but there's going to be something that completely surprises me. And usually it's an obstacle. It's usually what's going to get in the way. And when that happens, what's great about it is that it throws all of my precepts into agony. You know, like I don't like, wow, how am I, how is this, how is this going to get dealt with? And it has to genuinely surprise me. It's, um, it's, it's like if you read, I don't know if, if, if you read a narrative that, that knows the answers already at the end, um, you can tell when a writer is going to like preach to you in some kind of way, because they know the truth about something. And that's always boring. Um, the exciting stuff is when you don't know where it's going to go. And then when you get there, you have to improvise. And that's what ends up telling you more about the story and the character and yourself as a storyteller is how you actually deal with uh, the thesis is it changes, you know, um, in this case, I, you know, I set up the auction. I did not know, uh, that one of the lots would be, uh, Cecil Palmer. I, I, I knew there was going to be stuff for sale, but then when I realized it was going to be him, that made me laugh. And that's when I ended up, I think, I think, as I recall, that's when I first pitched it, uh, to Joseph and Jeffrey. And the thing is, I didn't really know how that was going to be resolved. I got to writing Cecil explaining the bidding as like, Oh yeah, right. Those lovely monologues he does would be why he doesn't act like it's, it's inherent to the character. Yeah. Why it wouldn't happen. It's like the, every interesting problem has its own solution within it as people who have no problems always say. <laughs> and I, I feel like that was true in this, in this episode specifically because Within the character, the solution was there about how to get him out of the auction without actually getting the thing. Because I knew I didn't want to describe it. I knew it had to stay somewhat mysterious. And so luckily, all the materials were there already. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Night Vale. We appreciate it, as always. What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at over there? You're so cute! Me? Yeah, you're like, thank you for listening. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your listening. Uh, yeah, that's it. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about episode 38, Orange Grove. But also, in the meantime, there is extra content waiting for you at patreon.com forward slash goodmorningnightvale, including my lovely wife who's sitting to my right telling her version of the story of the time I ate pie in the shower, which for some reason a lot of you seem to enjoy. Uh, we also we made scones. Uh, there's plenty of other video content. And, and extra pictures and ad-free episodes coming your way. Uh, so it doesn't take much to support art and artists that you love, and you can do it over at Patreon, and we would really appreciate it if you did. For now, good morning, Night Vale, and also, good morning. Good Morning Night Vale is a Night Vale Presents production. It is hosted by Symphony Sanders, Hal Lublin, and Meg Bashwinner. It is edited by Grant Stewart. It is mixed by Vincent Cachione. It is produced by Meg Bashwinner. Theme music by Disparition. Special thanks to our guest this week. 
Glenn David Gold. Leave us a voicemail at 929-277-2050 or email us at info at goodmorningnightvale.com to share your theories and ask questions or tell us about a time when you ate a food. This show is powered by our patrons like Christopher Nix, Haley, Captain Shay Shay, Ira Tanner, and Q Fortier. If you're interested in supporting this show in exchange for pictures of symphonies staring at birds, check out patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. For more information on this show, go to goodmorningnightvale.com and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Nightvale Chat. Special thanks to Christy Gressman, Jeffrey Craner, Joseph Fink, and Adam Cecil. Today's adverb is clairvoyantly. I'm clairvoyantly betting that War of the Wills, Omaha Beach, and Long Range Toddy will all be very good horses. They say you shouldn't meet your heroes. I'm Joseph Fink, and I'd like to introduce you to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, the show where I meet my hero and have conversations about songwriting, art, and life. This podcast is going to be weird for me because I'm proud of what I do, but I always try to change the subject if people tell me that my stuff is good. (laughs) I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. From PR.